Everybody wants to know what makes a good CMO. So we went to one of the world's largest agencies and asked their CMO. Her answers are shocking. Two simple adjectives that define and separate a good CMO from the bad today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have the CMO of Siegel and Gale and an old friend, Margaret Malloy on. Margaret's being asked some direct questions today about what it's like to be a CMO, what it takes to be a good CMO, how she defines a good CMO. So without further ado, Margaret Malloy and the topic of CMOs. Welcome, Margaret. Hello, Jill. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, Why don't we start as we always do, if you want to share a little bit about your background and how you got here. Certainly. Well, today, as you indicated, I lead marketing for Siegel & Gale, one of the world's top branding consultancies. But most of my career, I've spent client-side. You and I worked together at Siebel Systems prior to the Oracle acquisition. And I've worked in telecoms and economic development in government, primarily business to business. Um, As the accent probably portrays, I was born in Ireland, I've been in the States 20 years, did my graduate work at the Harvard Business School, and really have spent most of my career doing what I characterize as tours of duty in various marketing functions, and today culminating with that role as CMO at a brand strategy consultancy. Excellent. So, so let's start there. What is marketing and what is uh, the role of the CMO today? And maybe we I can break apart those questions. Those are kind of two big questions. but Certainly. And I think marketing is the act of persuading others to act, essentially. It's that, it's, that's the profession we're in. We're in the persuasion business. And we're persuading people, be they consumers or B2B buyers, be they internal colleagues, be they media, analysts, influencers, what have you. We are persuading people to act. So that's the, the profession we're in. We deploy various tactics, be they storytelling, analytics, and all kinds of machinery around that. But at its core, that's the business we are all in. Um, I think it's a marvelous time to be a marketer today, assuming, of course, you want to be a modern marketer. I, I, I think the notion that's important to state at the outset is that successful CMOs, in my experience, and I have many of them as clients, and I, I work and live in that community, are characterized by being strategic business leaders. So the channels have evolved, the pace of change has has changed, the need to be strategic and understand a market remains constant. So the role of the CMO, in my view, is to have a strategic outlook and appreciate the duality of creativity and analysis in the marketing process. The other factor, and we can get into this, that I think is vitally important today as a CMO, is to understand that the customer's marketing experience of your brand, of your company, 
is often disproportionately impacted by colleagues who do not work in the marketing department. So the CMO as culture carrier is a a very important new addition to that repertoire of skills that successful CMOs need to embody. Interesting. So that's, I mean, there are a lot of skills there that the CMO needs to have, right? There's, you're talking about strategy, you're talking about analytical skills, you're talking about creativity. You're also talking about impact uh, for the broader business. Um, I'm curious if you have a a take on that and sort of then, you know, maybe what are those uh, most important skills and how does, how does someone do them? And especially Sort of, and, and is it different for startups, right? Where who we're mainly talking to today? Certainly, I, I think the most fundamental skill a CMO needs is the ability to drive business performance. So, a number of those attributes I listed: creativity, analysis. Those skills in their execution may not or do not necessarily need to reside in abundance in that one person or the role. But what they need to do, and great CMOs do very well, is understand the business context, hire and inspire the right team members, be they internal colleagues or agency partners, to drive business performance. And it's interesting, I've reflected on this for many years, and I think there's an underappreciated skill that some of the best CMOs have and that is the ability to simplify. We touched on the evolution of marketing in the beginning, and it seems to me that great CMOs need to be able to take in many data inputs. They need to have an appetite for change, to be able to synthesize insights, articulate brand purpose that is compelling for their colleagues and others. And at its heart, that's about understanding a lot of inputs and being able to simplify them for an audience. So great CMOs, in my mind, are great simplifiers. Yeah, I, I, I've heard you talk a lot about uh, simplifying and simplicity. And I definitely think in terms of marketing, especially in terms of tech marketing, that you're, you're right. I see this challenge a lot. And I'm, I'm I'm curious if you have advice around this, especially, you know, if you think about, say, tech startups, there's often a lot of complexity in a lot of these, um, in a lot of the products and so forth. And, you know, what does that mean? And maybe what startups can do and how do they measure the impact and whether they're doing this well and so forth? Does that make sense? Yes, certainly. And there's a lot of layering to your question and the premise. I think one of the mindset opportunities for startups is to get over this notion of trying to disrupt and actually focus on simplifying. And there's dimension to that. So the first point is people are very harried, whether they're consumers of, the, of, of products or whether it be to be business users. So the ability to simplify for your end user is fundamental. And and I choose those words very deliberately. A number of more traditional companies, often the incumbents in every sector, have a very um, sort of acquisition-oriented mindset versus usage-oriented mindset. So they think about marketing as around demand generation. They think about marketing as 
predominantly building awareness and marketing's job ends when the transaction happens. The uh, Another characteristic of that approach is much of the budget and much of the content creation effort is around building awareness, customer acquisition. Contrast that with, I think, the mindset that I'm advocating, which is more of a usage-based mindset. So if you're focused on getting customers to actually use your product as opposed to just buy your product, well, that has meaningful implications for the kind of content you create, the um, emphasis on time and budget within your marketing department. In other words, you don't stop when you've achieved that um, all-important customer acquisition target to actually say, well, are people actually using the product? How do I create content and programs that drive usage as opposed to just that single um, acquisition strategy. And and I think at the heart of that is that distinction between usage-based brands and purchase-based brands and thinking of the end is when people are using your brands. Another distinction in these two mindsets that's meaningful Brands that are focused on purchase celebrate the awards, the awards they win, the creativity awards at con and other conferences. People who are focused on usage look at things like advocacy, customer referral, um, what's being said about their product online in the ratings engines and other places as opposed to the awards their marketing is winning. So it's a very, very fundamental mindset shift from being purchase-oriented to usage-oriented. And I think that the point I made in the beginning is there's been a lot of acclaim to brands who have deemed to be disruptors in every sector. But actually, I think people fundamentally, as humans, don't want to be disrupted. They actually want their lives to be made simpler. So if you look at the brands who are doing very well, they are exhibiting behaviors like removing friction in a process, or um, which is fundamentally making it easier for someone to actually use their product, or they're saving people time, or they're empowering customers or users, which is not really disrupting at all. It's making life simpler for the user and shifting that mindset as I touched on, has implications for where marketing begins and ends. It has also implications for the kinds of questions we ask. Are we simplifying our lives for our customers? How can we look at the customer journey at every moment of truth and see, are we simplifying that experience? And by asking those questions, we'll get to a very different flavor of marketing. And I think for startups, an actually a better outcome. So I think that's phenomenal. I I could not agree more. Um, My question to you is, you're right. So when you started talking about that, you acknowledged um, a lot of what I've seen is that a lot of companies, so there's so much focus on this quarter and the lead gen and the closing business and so forth. This really is a major transformation to get from here to there. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or advice for the CMO, for the marketers, for anyone within the company who wants to get from here to there, who, who agrees with you on this, um, in how to drive that kind of change, right? When there is so much pressure on the, you know, closing business and showing growth and so forth, uh, the, the now. Yeah, and it is that gorgeous tension between the long term and the short term that repeats itself. But I I, I think in some situations, 
there isn't a conflict. So, for example, in many of the B2B startups in, in the tech realm right now, their business models are actually predicated on renewals. So a higher proportion of the revenue comes after someone has used the product as distinct from the more classic model of license-based revenue and, and upfront costs. So the implication being that smart companies are looking at metrics like churn. Are we acquiring customers? What's the time spent on the site, the time spent in the product? So therefore, inherently, they're looking at usage metrics. I think what often gets lost in the mix is the marketing department's not in that conversation. That can be in the services department or that can be in the product development area. Meanwhile, marketing's out putting on events and and doing PR and doing other useful things, but they're essentially filling what could be a leaky bucket as opposed to deploying the marketing skills across the entire customer experience, not the model where they talk about customer journey, where the journey ends when that first transaction occurs. Because if you strip it back and look at what are the core skills of marketers, storytelling, understanding customers from an empathy standpoint, really being able to walk in in customers' shoes or people's shoes as opposed to customers, then deploying those skills after the first transaction just makes sense. So inviting marketing into a conversation that doesn't end at that first check signing is really important to get access to those skills. I think the second point is it does require strong leadership and a CEO with a strong point of view that takes this uh, larger mindset and and takes a long-term horizon. And uh, it's hard to substitute for that. If an organization doesn't have a strong leader who can't execute and articulate a long-term vision, then that's that's problematic. And it, it can be to the street if it's a public company, or it can indeed to be to the investors that we're taking a long-term view. And the trick is to try to make sure the model isn't mutually exclusive, that you can't have near-term wins because without the near-term, you don't have the resources to achieve the long-term. But it's, it's less about just not doing customer acquisition. It's more about the preponderance of the content, the tonality, the activities in the marketing department focused on getting users to use our product as opposed to getting people to buy our product. It's, it's a fundamental difference in terms of tonality. Yes, that makes sense. So it's so if I can sort of play that back, I think a lot of it in terms of making this transition, it's about the metrics that you focus on. It's about the leadership really sort of believing and, and buying in and driving it and about this sort of balance of that that long-term view, but sort of balancing that with the short-term needs. Uh-huh. Is, that, is that fair? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And also a broad interpretation of what constitutes marketing. Mm-hmm. And I think that phenomena um, can be off, particularly in B2B companies where marketing historically may not have had the center of gravity. So it can be perceived as promotion or perhaps even promotion plus lead generation when 
if you interpret it more holistically, the question you're asking is, what are the skill sets of marketers and how do we deploy them to drive the business forward? And that may not be limited to demand gen. It could have a lot of implications on product marketing and really understanding customer needs and how to drive the right behaviors after the transaction and indeed the product set going forward. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So let's shift slightly, though. I think these are very intertwined and related. I want to talk about brand for a minute, because certainly that's something you focus a lot on. And certainly there are implications of simplicity, um, this idea of simplicity. But when it comes to startups, what does that mean, especially sort of if you're thinking, say, B2B, which um, I think B2C historically has certainly they've understood and valued and invested in brand and maybe not so much in, in B2B. And so if you're a startup, you're a B2B startup, what does brand mean for you and what should you be thinking about? Certainly. Well, I think if you decompose brand into a few elements, they are vitally important and strategic for a B2B startup. Number one, name. Being really smart about how you name your company such that the name that you give your company doesn't box you in to a particular category, for example. So uh, it's vitally important to have a name that allows you to pivot and doesn't require that you backtrack or that you, um, the monies that you've spent in marketing in one phase of the evolution aren't wasted. So naming, really important aspect of branding. Um, purpose. Having an art, the ability to articulate a purpose that's larger than a feature set of a product that similarly will grow as the scope of the business grows because one of the characteristics of startups is the notion of agility and pivoting and solving bigger problems as we learn more. Well, therefore, you need to be thoughtful about what is your company's purpose for the market, but also the brand is a vital um, asset when hiring the right talent. So what can set one startup apart from the other is their ability to motivate, hire, retain excellent staff. So having a purpose that's emotionally compelling and that's backed up by great values um, that are articulated, that are both compelling and relatable to that particular company, that's time well spent and that's a strategic asset. And when we see it going wrong, when we see companies that don't have well-articulated values that aren't carried through into the customer's experience with interacting with that company or the employee's experience interacting with that company, then things can fall apart. So purpose, values, really important aspects of branding. And then another element is if you think of brand today as evolving from merely words and pictures to experiences, well, then the startup has to ask, what is the brand experience we want all our constituents to have when interacting with our company? So if it's a physical product, what is the unboxing experience, for example? That's a vitally important brand touch point. If it's a technology that requires a highly skilled engineers, what's the employer brand? What's the experience those engineers will have as they go through the recruiting phase to joining our company? So if, if you interpret brand as a strategic asset and you go through the various dimensions from what is the brand 
brand experience, what are our values, what is our purpose, what, meaning what is the problem we're solving in the world, what is the, why do we exist, why should someone care if we go away next week, through to what is our name. All of these dimensions make brand a vitally important investment of time and resource. I think where it goes wrong is where people don't understand what does brand mean and they think brand is a logo or a tagline. But if you really understand the essence of what constitutes brand, then it will be something that companies invest in. I think the irony, Jill, is whether you are deliberate about creating a brand or not, an entity has a brand. It is the experience that people have interacting with that entity. So either you manage it as an asset or leave it to chance. And I think some savvy CEOs spend a lot of time of managing their tech stack or managing their financial resources or managing their board. Well, I would submit the brand requires equal management because left to chance, you are essentially leaving it to others to tell your story. So for the the early startup, you know, at what point uh, do you, th- at what point should, should a, a CEO, should a founder start thinking about this, right? Like in the early days there, they tend to be very focused around sort of product and getting to MVP and getting to product market fit and so forth. Is this something that they should be thinking about um, and doing anything uh, in those early stages or sort of when do you think this sort of kicks in and, and how should they be approaching it? So day one, they should be thinking about what's the purpose? What's our company's purpose? Meaning, what is it that we are doing in the world that intersects with our commercial imperatives, our our social agenda? What is it that inspires people? So that's number one. What is the purpose? There may be a product execution that enables the company to deliver on that purpose, but having a purpose is is really important day one. Because keeping in mind, the audience may change, but at some point you're trying to sell engineers or you're trying to sell investors. So I think it's implied often, it's just not deliberate. Um, Number two, I think they should be thinking about their identity, their visual identity. How do we show up? What is what do we look like? Because everything from the choice of color palettes through to typography, through to all the artifacts that go with a brand, signal something. So making sure there's coherence between where they're going and what these assets are signaling is important. Now there's practical matters, product needs to get out, stuff needs to get done. But having brand as one of the list of on that on that checklist to think about is vitally important because even in the product, is there a product interface? That is a brand touch point. The, the user experience, as I'm defining brand, meaning the holistic set of experiences a constituent has with your entity. So what is the brand experience? Do we look um, are we simple? It's, it's vitally important from where I said, but there are other attributes as well. Are we whimsical? Are we serious? All of these qualities need to be deliberate. And it's not that there's one answer that's better than another. It's just it needs to be consistent across every touch point. That makes sense. So um, you work with a lot of companies. Are there any other, we, we've touched on sort of um, 
brand and simplicity and sort of this idea of sort of um, all of these touch points and and sort of simplicity touching everything and so forth. Are there other any other sort of common mistakes that you've seen uh, across these companies? Any other sort of, I guess, last uh, pieces of advice you would leave companies with based on what you've seen across the companies you've looked at and worked on? Certainly. I think that notion of marketing as a culture carrier is important. Increasingly, folks who do not work in the marketing department are creating the brand experience, whether it's the engineer designing the user experience or whether it's the associate in the retail store. So marketing, being able to influence the behaviors of the colleagues who are not in their direct chain of command is is really important. And in startup, it may be fewer people, it may be others in the channel that are not uh, even employed by that organization. But really thinking about back to that brand experience, what's the culture we're trying to perpetuate and how can marketing be a culture carrier? The other thing I would just reiterate is um, companies who do it well seem to have the fortitude for perpetual reinvention. So how do we get design thinking into our MO at a company, which essentially means putting the customer at the center of everything? How can we truly show empathy? It's such an important role. And for marketers who do it well, it's a marketing skill set. Finally, I'd say important that marketers, I touched on this earlier, is this notion of understanding their interdependencies. So it's fine to say a company is... um, customer-centric, but how do we operationalize that customer centricity and recognize that that's not a one and done, that's an ongoing effort. And I suppose the final thing I would leave is just restating that point that if I were to counsel startups, I would say, stop disrupting, start simplifying. That's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, Margaret. It's been great chatting with you today. Thank you, Jill. All right. Thanks for listening. Margaret has so many great insights. I loved her two views on a good CMO is all about persuasion and it's about simplicity. It's that marriage of data and analytics. It's that brand person, that creative person, as well as that demand gen person that someone can go out and actually drive leads. And it's the mix of them both. How do you find them? Where do you find them? How do you foster those relationships? Well, Margaret's in the know. If you'd like to follow her, you can do so on Twitter at Margaret Malloy. You can also follow her on her website at wearingirish.com. That's wearingirish.com. And you can also follow her on LinkedIn at Margaret Malloy. For us, well, we'd hope you'd take a look at the book. The book is now available on pre-order on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and it's called Beyond Product. If you'd like more information or would like to check us out, you can do so on foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co, the place where exceptional founders grow. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.